Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my beautiful little hot dog buns, my little crispy battered sausages, my little titbits, my little pickled eggs, my little bread rolls, my little wooden forks, my little onion vinegars, my little salty little beautiful little salt you put on there, my little plastic trays, my little newspaper wraps. I hope you're having a gorgeous day. You must be, because you know what? You've just tuned in with Chatting with Chorley. Oh yeah, with me, Diane Chorley, the Duchess of Canby. Coming at you live from Canby Island. Well, not live, pre-recorded. But I tell you what, I'm having a gorgeous day. Now the world's opening up again and everything's changing but you. No, we'll have to pay money for that. But something's gorgeous is occurring, I tell you that. A Milky's sat here. He's just been to Warhammer and he's bought himself loads of lovely little toys and he's got his little enamel paint out and he's having a right old flick and biddle over there. You carry on, Milky, but can you please pay attention to the sound? Blimey, what a nightmare. Just drink your strawberry Ribena in peace. I'll tell you what, I should be rested, but I'm bleeding exhausted because Ron said to me the other day, Diane... I'm taking it on the I said, do you know what, Ron? I bleed and deserve it. I'm absolutely exhausted. I'm the colour of concrete. It's disgusting. I'm like the Slender Man, creeping out of my bleeding mouth every night in a Burton suit. Well, I said, Ron, where are we going? He said, no, I'm not going to tell you it's a surprise. I said, you know, I don't like surprises. He said, OK, it's a staycation. Well, I was livid. Halfway up the A12 and we sat in the car, I said to him, you got to tell me now, I'm getting annoyed. I just burnt my mouth on a meatball mariana from Subway. Spent £12 on a cinnamon bun and a mocha from Starbucks. I tell you what, there was more bun than cinnamon in there. I could have bought a bread roll from Londis, it'd have been bleeding cheaper. Then we get there, it's a bleeding converted gypsy caravan. I said, I couldn't care less what it is, Ron. It may look nice, but it's still a bit of bleeding wood. Started sleeping on a church pew, most uncomfortable night of sleep in my life. Of course, Ron put him on his back on a hard surface. Oh, the snoring, they could have heard it in Rotherham. It was a nightmare, almost smothered him. I'd have done another 10 year stretch for that, just to have a good night's sleep. I'll tell you what, this caravan park, you never guess what, it was ecological. Could you imagine? It was vegan. The tea on an oat must be tiny, because that ain't milk, it's cloudy water. Don't get me wrong, I'm all for saving the planet. I've just seen the Isle Salaman in the Bleeding River out there in Mexico, enough to turn you bleeding mad. But I draw a line at passing a solid in sawdust. I don't want to see Melinda McCartney sausage stew staring back at me. I'm an elegant woman. You can't see me squatting over a wooden hole at two o'clock in the bleeding morning, kissed by the moonlight, forget it. I've got some standards. I came back with a tunnel, right? I was knee-deep in filth. Anyway, I'm not going to go on about it because today's guest is absolutely bleeding gorgeous. It's going to be a wonderful show. I hope you enjoy it. We're going to do a little song for them after. Oh, my God. Here we are as our next guest. Today's guest is the bleeding gorgeous. The wonderful, warm, beautiful guest that I just adore is the wonderful Janet Ellis. You probably know her as... The presenter of some of the most iconic TV shows that have ever been bleeding made. Jigsaw, terrifying. Blue Peter, informative. Not only that, she's a bleeding MBE. She's a best-selling author. She's just about as talented as a bleeding woman gets, to be honest with you. I absolutely adore her, and we're speaking to her today. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for the gorgeous, welcome to the Codpast, the wonderful Miss Janet Ellis, MBE. Here she is. It's a gorgeous top, Janet. Oh, thank you. Lovely. Where's that from? Marnie. Corset bleeding is. But on Outnet, Outnet is like a knockoff site for push things. Oh, I know him well. That's where I get everything, even my food. <laughs> I get that knocked off down the market. <laughs> 15 tins for the price of one. <laughs> They're dented, but I don't care. Yeah. I don't care if it's inside out. Give it Moore's to me if it's cheap. We'll have those. Moore's balls are fine. <laughs> Oh, you look right at home there. Could be the BBC studio back in the day. Look at this. This is all this kit. Unbelievable. Are you going to give us a little go on the old keyboard halfway through? <laughs> like a little song, if you don't mind. Yeah. You take requests. <laughs> Can you play the piano? Are you musical? I can't play the piano. I'd love to. I, uh, I'd love to have learned to play the piano. I'm going to put my peripatetic, I'm trying not to pop, my peripatetic childhood 
to blame. Sorry, I don't know what parapetech means. I'm sorry. <laughs> what, what is that? <laughs> we moved house every two years. Oh, I see. Well, give it, you know, know your audience, Janet. I don't know what a parapakeke is, but I do like the sound of it. It sounds ever so nice, but it has covered my entire screen in McCoy. Yeah. Sadly. Salt and vinegar McCoy, because that's what happened for me a lunch and a meal deal. And what you just said about your um lifestyle growing up, was that because your dad was in the army? He was in the army, yeah. Yeah. Was he an army kind of army man? He was in the, yeah, he was in the Royal Engineers. The sappers, um, and he rose to the rank, as they say, he rose to the rank of captain, um, which is not very high up at all, really. Oh, is it not? I'm not very <laughs> not good really. with all the technical terms. But you know, he wasn't really. He went into the army because um, his mother died when he was 14, and he was at boarding school already. He was sent off to boarding school when he was seven, and. Um, he just wanted, I think he wanted to be somewhere where he'd definitely have somewhere to live as well. <laughs> so he went into the army because they do give you a house. You know, they, they look after you when you're training and then after that they post you somewhere and give you a house to live in. I think that's why he joined up. But he left when I was 14. And then most of your childhood was spent between Germany and the UK, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was. But it, it's really embarrassing that because we did not, learn German or have much to do with Germany. It's very odd. You know, you live on a, um, in quarters, you know, on a, what they used to call a patch, which is just where your quarters were. Um, and nobody, I think one of the schools I went to, we did a bit, we had a German pen friend, which is ironic because they were about three minutes away. But, you know, we were supposed to be doing a bit of German with them. But she wanted to practice her English anyway, root. So it was kind of pointless. And when I look back, I mean, it was fractured, you know, but it's six years altogether of my childhood was spent in Germany. And really all I can do is order eggs. Zane Grosser Eier, 10 big eggs, because we'd be dispatched from time to time to the local shop and encouraged to practice the tiny bit of German we had. Well, you got some eggs out of it. That's the main thing. I mean, yes, do you go, I can't imagine you go, do you go back to Germany much? I can't imagine you do. So there's no need. I have been back once and it was like most of my education in the services of a job I was doing. So it was when I was doing Blue Peter. And because when I was on Blue Peter, I did the parachuting. You know, I, I repeated all John Noakes parachuting films, basically. Um, and I went back to actually where I had spent some of my childhood. So I went back to Hereford. Um, I can't remember how long I was even there for. It was sensory flipping overload, though, because it, it looked the same and it kind of smelt the same. But, of course, mm. it was quite a long time after, so I did neither of those things. And it was just kind of weird being there. I'm not a person who goes back to places. I don't do that. I sort of keep moving on. It's like me and Milky's bedroom. I went in there once, I'll never go back. Do you know what I mean? My olfactory senses still replay that, that smell sometimes. And I'll tell you what, it stopped me, stopped me dead cold in quicksave before I tell you that for nothing. It's enough to make you wince. I'll tell you that, Janet. What did he think, your dad, about you going into the showbiz world? Was he into it? Actually, my, he, yeah, he, was, he was just, he was such a sweet guy, my dad. He was very sort of solid and lovely and yeah I mean obviously uh, I can now say you know amateur psychiatrist and all that that because he wasn't particularly demonstrative but of course he wasn't he was packed off to boarding school at seven and lost his mother at 14 but he was a very kind and loving man so he didn't say anything basically <laughs> my mother who was um a much more sort of outgoing demonstrative lively woman lovely 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 woman and I think she would have loved to do something like that. But again, it just never really occurred to her. And funny enough, she'd lost her mother when she was 13. And then she became a nurse for almost exactly the same reasons my dad went into the army, because they gave you somewhere to live. So these poor little homeless people, um, they got married when my mum was 22 and my dad was 23. And I was born, now I look at it a scant nine months later, scant, um, but she was always really encouraging. And I look at it now that at 17, when I came home from school and just said, I'm leaving and I want to, you know, <laughs> drama school is calling. Although actually, technically, I didn't get in until two years later. But they were very forward thinking, really, because I think they must have thought what the actual, because they just didn't know anything about it. We didn't know a single person who was anything to do with it at all. But I guess in those days as well, it was a bit more like, 
I don't know, it was more respected as a job, wasn't it, doing something like working in TV or presenting. But then again, after that, you did go on and you did appear in what's it called? What was it? Jigsaw, which was enough to give anyone bleeding nightmares. Do you show you? Do you show your grandkids that? What did they make of that? Your grandkids and your, and your mum and dad. They must have thought, what the crap? Nosy bonk. What's she doing with her life? I know, nosy bonk. I'm really sorry about that, everybody. Yeah, um, just send me the bill, really, for your psychiatrist fees. But I think because I just said, you know, ever since I was little, I said I wanted to be an actress before I really knew what it meant. I'd only seen one play, Peter Pan, um, and I. I just thought I'm, that's what I'm doing. So every single thing I did at school or anywhere else was to do with this great calling, you know. So if they ever went, you know, we've got somebody who do need to read an assembly. Me, I'll read, you know, whatever it was performance-wise. must have been really annoying, actually. But, you know, I, I think because it just never occurred to me <laughs> that I wouldn't be all right. You know, people would endlessly say... Oh, acting, trouble is, you know, 25% of the profession are in work at any one time and the rest of them. And I think, poor the rest of them. You know, it really just sort of didn't, I didn't think it would be me being out of work. I don't know why. Well, because you knew you were bleeding good, that's why. And you were bleeding good, because you did ever so well out of it. And then there was a little while, wasn't there, between, I'm sounding a bit like, this is your life here, so stop me if I get a bit boring. So I like doing my research, Danny. Do you know what I mean? I've looked up on you ever so much. You like me I do, it. I but do. But then you went to... Although when this is your life, you've got no, you've got no say over the, over the guests, have you? And, and actually, Sophie's dad, her a.k.a. my first husband, was a researcher on This Is Your Life. And very often, oh, the people he? who were being done, as it were, had no idea, of course, who was going to turn up because it was all a surprise. And sometimes it was people that you could tell they weren't that thrilled to see again. Could you imagine if they pulled up my history and put it on national TV? Christ, alive, they'd have to close down the station. I know. <laughs> It'd been eighteen plus my life, my life story. With the, it the would. Of, it'd be like Although I suppose it, you just but have then, to pixelate all the guests. Trust me, it's pixelated anyway. My history looking bad, my life is pixelated. One big pixel. That's bleeding what it is. And then, of course, in the 70s, was it? It must have been the 70s, wasn't it? That you went to Central Speech and Drama, the School of it Central is, Speech yeah. and Drama. But then you worked, didn't you, before that at like, was it the comedy club or the, was it the, the, the comedy theatre or something? In... Yeah, but yeah, backstage on props. Backstage. Which actually... But what was it like there, being young and like working in theatre at that time? Because I imagine, you know, women probably didn't have much of a. Well, I'd be curious to know what it was like. It was really, really, really poorly paid. Yeah, but it was. <laughs> it was well, really... Like this is now. Getting paid? Um, the, the, that was, uh, yeah, backstage just after I'd left school. Um, and I was, um, I had to go, <laughs> I had to wear all black and go and stand on stage in a blackout. And then they would lower bits of the set in and it had a kind of, whatever, cleat, flange, who knows, on the back. And I had to stand on it to steady it throughout the scene. So I have been on stage with Tom Conti. It's just that he couldn't see me because I was behind a piece of scenery. But it was, yeah, there were a lot of us doing it. It was, it was good fun, but very, very poorly paid. But then also, of course, then again, the one that you're famous for, the role that everyone knows you for, is Bleeding Blue Peter. Now, that must have been quite yeah. something going into that, wasn't it? Like, what, yeah. that must have been a very yeah. weird experience, just walking into one of the biggest TV shows in the Bleeding World. Totally, totally. Well, the UK. <laughs> well, I think the world. Um, yeah, it, it was, because um, obviously chunks of my childhood had been spent not watching Blue Peter, so I had to mug up a bit. But everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. And when my then agent said to me, oh, somebody's leaving from Blue Peter, I actually said, no, I, no, I don't want to do that. Because I thought I might do a bit of presenting, you know, a little bit, just to sort of fill the gap when I wasn't getting acting roles. But I thought, oh, that's huge. You know, that's, that's just presenting. But, of course, it was sort of a bit like what I'd been doing already because it was always live. And we didn't have autocue. Mm. And there was a spirit, and everybody else had been an actor too. The people I was with at that time, a lot of us had been actors. Um, so there was a kind of, I don't know, buzz about it. Same feeling, bit of a bit of a different time frame because you normally get less than, more than a night to learn your script. But but I did think once I'd been and done the audition, actually, actually. And you did you have Sophie at the time? You did, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. you had a little baby at the time. Yeah, yeah she was four. The job Sophie was getting you doing was bleeding ridiculous. Like I saw one thing of you. I think you're going up Hairs Rock. Oh, yeah. I saw this on YouTube. You're going up Hairs Rock. You're like, Simon, 
Yeah. Simon, babe, I'm, I'm having an asthma attack. Simon, he couldn't care bleeding less. He's buggered no. off already at the top he's of the hill. Off. He's You're just like, going, hey, up. nice view Simon. up here. And he's like, yeah, oh, Janet, you should see this view up here. You're like, how? Ah, is it nice? Simon, That's you can't exactly even bleed and breathe. It was, it was outrageous. Then you jumped out of a bleeding thing. Didn't you break your arm jumping out of a parachute or something? Pelvis, fact fans. Pelvis? Are you kidding? <laughs> you actually <laughs> broke a pelvis jumping out of a I bleeding did. thing. I did, yeah, I did. I did wasn't you have to even... sign a waiver? No, it was weird, isn't it, that we just didn't in you those days. You just accepted broken limbs as part of the bleeding Kinda, service. I wonder if they're yeah. still the same in Blue Peter now. I think probably not. I reckon they I... ain't. You paved the way. You've broken many a bones for liberal people <laughs> these days. I'll tell yes. you that for nothing. You changed, no, you I changed those things. There, there was a time, because that wasn't my only accident. <laughs> because, you know, I wasn't very good at parachuting, not surprisingly. And my, that, that one, actually, the broken pelvis one, wasn't, wasn't my fault. But I also managed to fall face forward into quite a large amount of Oxfordshire. And I split the inside of my lip between my gum and my teeth, requiring 12 stitches. So I looked like, a, I don't know, a prize fighter, although they wouldn't be very pleased to look like that. And the very next day I went on television and I showed the little children my stitches because everything was an item. Everything oh, my God. Item. That's crazy, though, isn't it? So you just did these things. What did the producers say when you came back and said, oh, I've broken my pelvis? They just thought, all right, Janet, whatever, get in line. They were a bit peeved that I hadn't actually been filmed doing it. So they used everything. They used all like the... Yeah. All those clips like that, they just used it. Yeah. Yeah, but I wasn't, I was rehearsing. I was rehearsing for, um, in fact, the only thing I didn't do is one of those displays, you know, where you have smoke coming out your boot. So I was supposed to be rehearsing for that. And I landed and I thought, oh, that doesn't feel quite right. And I was with this guy, my, my instructor, Nigel, and he was a brilliant parachutist, but I have to say not particularly medical because he came over and he went, oh, you've gone a bit white. You're like, you know, that cloud, you're a bit like that. And I went, oh, and he went, oh, you probably twisted something, probably twisted something. So they carried me to my car because I was, you know, at Bryce Norton or wherever, Western or the Green. And they said, look, if you can do a circuit of the car park, are you OK to drive home? So I went, yeah, sure. Oh, the my I got dear home, An hour and a half later, I could not actually get out of the car because I'd sort of frozen in position. And then went off to hospital, obviously, and they informed me <laughs> it was actually a break. And then... Um, the next day, obviously, was supposed to be Blue Peter because it was every Monday and Thursday. This was a Wednesday. And so they sent some film camera to my bed. Oh, you are kidding me. Are you listening, BBC? This is outrageous. Never mind. Never mind, children. I'm fine. I only missed one programme. Did you not even get private health care? No, no, no. They said to me, um, we, we will pay you for the programme you missed. That, that's, that's what... Because I missed one programme when I was actually pretty laid up at home. And the, the really sad thing about that is my dad, the famous, the famous Mike Ellis, had by then left the army and was working in special effects for the BBC. And one of the things he worked on a lot, of course, was Doctor Who's. And um, so he was going to be on the programme. On the day that you were ill? Oh, my God. Yes. And instead of, yeah, and instead of delaying it so I could actually interview my own papa, they got Sarah Green in. So I had to be at home... Not feeling great watching. You know Sarah what? I've never liked that. My... I've never liked that Sarah Green. That doesn't how surprise she, me one how bit. How could she say yes to that? Did you ever see that show she no. did where she was? There was like some horror. They did some horror film. I remember I watched it in prison. There was a mutiny. They did some horror film or horror show or something. I think it was Sarah Green. Yeah, it was terrifying. Oh it was my god! Live ghost watchy sort of thing. Ghost watch. That's yeah, what it was. With, oh with my god! Michael Parkinson. I Parkinson. He was in on it. Yeah. Parkinson was in on it. Of course he was. The yeah. devil incarnate. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I love Parky. Parky, if you're listening, you're forgiven. Do you know what I mean? We go way back, Parky and I. I love the man. But I'll tell you what, he can put away and all he can eat Chinese buffet. That's all I'm saying. I've never seen a man. Didn't even take a breath. Clear the Whoa. old buffet within so an hour. So if there's like a lazy Susan with all the stuff on it, it just stops at him and that's it. To be honest, knowing Parky, I wouldn't even mention that there was a lazy Susan nearby because right. he'd be on it like a whippet. Do you know what I mean? That's I just do. the history I've got of him. But I love you, Michael. I'm just saying out loud. Well, I'm so, just going to park that. Park it, think about it. Okay. Let it let it simmer. Yeah. But of course, these days, I think, um, well, Parky, I haven't seen him in a while. I did see him recently, actually. He looked quite slim, but it was intentional, apparently. He's on the no-carb diet. Anyway, <laughs> let's steer away from Parky. <laughs> 
before I do get bleeding seed. But what I've liked about you, Janet, and I've said this to you before, okay, because you came down on my chat show down at Soho Theatre. We had a gorgeous time. It was you, it was Sophie, it was Dan Gillespie. Wasn't that a night of the lifetime? That it was. was actually. It was. It was it gorgeous. Took me back. It was like being at the flick again, really. It was just it like was. reunion. Yeah. I know. And, you know, you were one of those characters at the flick. You'd get there late and you'd leave early. Do you know what I mean? Mentally and physically. It's allowed. But what I was going to say was, and I didn't finish it, is that when you was, because when you was in Blue Peter, okay, it was the kind of first that someone, like a female, was on screen. You had had a way about you that was ever so, I guess it was independent. It was always very reserved. You were, you were gorgeous and beautiful, but you were quite stoic and you didn't give much away, you know, and weirdly, women get a lot of, you know, they get a lot of grief these days for being, for keeping themselves reserved and, and held back and things like that. They get, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you're being standoffish or whatever. But you always did it with such class in that show. You know, you were you were kind of, you were reserved though, but you were warm. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was quite so, a thing. Yeah. You must have had quite an impact, I would say, at the time. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I was, I was 28 when I joined the programme, which, which is in Blue Peter terms now. That sounds like old because they're all children. Mm. But and obviously, I did already have uh, a child, and over the course of doing Blue Peter, um, I was no longer married to Sophie's dad, and actually met John and and mm. became pregnant with Jack. So oh you know, things were going on. Um, it was always made clear to us that the program was the most important thing. Which is mm. fair enough, you know, because it's it's in those days, of course, you know, there was nothing else apart from Magpie. <laughs> Where is Magpie now? I ask you. But you know, there was only one other channel, and if you were cute, you could probably watch both if you just didn't mind missing a bit of one to swap over. But there was there was a kind of a responsibility, I guess. But on the other hand, we are talking about the days before Twitter, Facebook, paparazzi. So. Yeah. So, thank goodness. Thank goodness. That's what but I there must. Say. Well, did people thank write in goodness. though and say, oh, you know, Janet, I love you. You're, you know, you're in, you know, you're an important part. And I know that when that whole, and you've actually come out and said that they didn't ask you, they didn't tell you to leave Blue Peter when you had the, the baby. You, you, you left of your own accord. Yeah. I don't, to be honest, I don't think I'd have been offered another contract, but I got in there first. No. You know, because I think they just would have felt but having a small child and a baby and doing what we did, because it was still, you know, a much bigger commitment then than it is now. You know, it's once a week mm. now, and I think they have more presenters. Anyway, anyway, after four years, I was um, I was quite glad my hand was forced, to be honest, because you could stay forever there. But I think you could equally stay beyond the point when you were quite excited about it. And I always mm. was, you know, I always, I always thought, oh, good, there's the script, rather than... Oh, because obviously it's a repetitive program. It's talking to children, so that's what they like. Mm. And and even if I didn't have a child already, I would always know when it was the school holidays or Mother's Day or Father's Day because every single year, of course, we honoured absolutely everything, the big events in a child's life. But I knew when I started that I ought to be able to go when I was still thinking this is the most brilliant job. I didn't ever want mm. to get jaded because... Obviously, there's loads of people who would probably actually physically kill you for that job. So you don't want to give them the opportunity. And and it was, you know, it was a good reason to go. Do you think you left because you wanted to be a mum? Was that what it was? Or you just... Because you were very... You're a family woman, aren't you? Very family yeah, orientated. Yeah, yeah. And that I would mean, have taken I, up a lot of your time. It, yeah. Well, does Sophie say it take, took up a lot of my time? Does she feel neglected over those years? I hope she thinks it took up a well, lot no, of my actually, time. Well, no, actually, I listened to, I listened to the, uh, the podcast that you did with Sophie about motherhood. And that was a good, oh. really touching episode, listening to you to her. But you did, you know, you did say that... You even spoke about that a bit, didn't you? About whether you were, well, there as much as many other other mums were and maybe oh, no, I, was, I maybe think I was much. pretty selfish I mean I was 23 when I had soap so I was quite you know nobody mm. else I knew had a baby so I think I was probably I mean obviously I loved her more than anything anything but I was also probably pretty selfish and even taking yeah. on a commitment like doing Blue Peter then was more selfish because there weren't many of us really I mean so the fact no. that I had a child was never mentioned on the program Never mind. No, it's weird, isn't she it? Was on, That's she funny. was on once with me. Um, poor kid, modelling snoods made of J cloths or something. 
or cloths like that, BBC. Nothing more but, comfortable um, than a snood mayor over J-cloth. Oh, the feeling of, the, really the feeling of that J-cloth on your skin. Oh, gorgeous it is. Especially dyed. Especially dyed a different colour. <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't part of my story on screen that I was a parent. I never, mm. ever said, oh, like at home or referred to her or anything. Which, looking back, is quite weird because... I think the I think the thinking was that a bit like the old fashioned pop stars who were never allowed to say if they were married, you know, that it would just complicate matters if I talked about my own child because I was talking to the nation's children. But of course, it's kind of the opposite that the minute you go anywhere, whenever I went anywhere, of course, I took Soph with me and other children could not get enough of her because she was an actual child of a person they knew. So, you know, she yeah. already had this sort of mythic celeb status. And you were, you also like, you You were like pop stars, weren't you really, though, the, the old Blue Peacher presenters? You were like little pop stars. We kind of were, except, like I say, we, we had a degree of privacy that, that young people today don't have because we weren't followed everywhere and we weren't mm. tweeted about and we weren't, thank goodness, you know, because it meant I could do all the things I was doing when I wasn't on screen. Without Ooh. being seen, which is a good Cheeky. thing. Which is a good thing. <laughs> There's a memoir. <laughs> I'll pre-order right, yeah. a copy of that, babe. Don't you worry. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What do you think about what do you say, you know, to the grandkids now, or even your own kids, I guess, about social media? Because you use Instagram, don't you? And you, you, yeah. you post on all those social media yeah. things. And you, yeah. you know, you're in the public eye. Do you think it's a positive thing? Yes and no. I mean, I think things like Instagram are like little postcards. That's how I think of them. You're just kind of sending a postcard out and going, here I am, lots of love, wish you were here. Personally, I use Twitter a bit like that too. I have, as anyone who knows me will know, plenty of opinions. I don't think Twitter is the place to share them because I I don't want to cope with the people who have a different opinion on there. I don't, you know, when I was doing things like the right stuff, I honestly could take it, but I don't, that's not the place for me to put it. But I, I guess think... the, the right stuff was kind of, that was a show where you were getting that kind of demographic of people who had something oh, quite, sure. you know... Oh, for sure. To say, yeah, yeah. you know, that yeah. was quite, could yeah, be yeah. quite. And did, yeah. did you find that then, then? Were you on Twitter when you were, was on the right stuff? Not the beginning, I don't think. I was quite a late adopter and I was forced into it, actually, by somebody who, what? who said they oh. had to they had to do a charity thing and would I join in? I was fine, you know, it was a lovely person doing it. But I, otherwise, I was very much that sort of, oh, I don't know about being in that playground. You know, I'm quite, I'm happy in this. Um because I didn't do the right stuff until I was quite old anyway, which was a good thing again, because although I hope, touching a bit of a... I don't know if this is wood, actually. It might be very It looks synthetic. like it. It does look like it, but, you know. I, I don't think I ever said anything awful or revealing about anyone uh, close to me, but I didn't mind sharing my own opinions about things at all. Whereas I know ten, even 10 years before I started doing it, I would have felt very different. I would have, you know, I would have worried about the effect I might have. But, you know, these things luckily sometimes happen at the right time. But that thing about social media, I mean, you can't, you know, you can't put that genie back in the bottle. What I'm really sad about, and they will never really get this because it's impossible for them to know anything else, is that when we were teenagers, you could genuinely have a time when kind of nobody knew where you were. You know, you could be completely, even if it was just in your bedroom, nobody could get to you at all. You could be totally, totally private. And especially when you're at school where, you know, that is one thing I say to them. You know, if they're having a bit of a tough time at school, I say, it's never going to be like this again. You're never going to see 
the same group of people every single flipping day without being able to ever get away from them and the person that you don't like or doesn't like you. But somehow with social media, particularly the way they use it, which is very conversational, they have to sacrifice that sort of real privacy. And I feel a bit sad for them. But, you know, obviously they just look at me all funny when I say that. But I feel like they they lose a little bit of inner peace in a sense. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean, it's, it's yeah. like that sense that you've always you've always got to be be doing something or showing yeah. yourself yeah. to be present when it's like yeah. actually the world's not like that. You you actually need a lot of your own you do. existence, otherwise you don't get things done. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like obviously I've got the old Instagram and I've had some time off it recently because I need to I'm I i can not operate. I need to pay attention to things <laughs> like a watering can in my mind. It can only hold so much information. Of course if my phone's beefing <laughs> up in the corner and I've got a little someone posting something saying, All right, Diane, give us a flash of something, I'm like, excuse me, I'm busy. So I had to get rid of yeah. it. Ten minutes yeah. later I get everyone saying, Diane, are you all right? Are you alive? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm alive. Yeah. I just ain't posting about it every 10 bleeding minutes. Get a bleeding grip. Do you know what I mean? I've got to tell them, Janet. I need to bleed. Well, I no. think I'm probably the only person of my age who hasn't post- posted about having their flipping vaccination. Come on, everybody's getting it. Don't you don't have, have you had say. your vaccination, though? <laughs> yes, of course I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did it feel all right? Did you have any funny after effects? I, I, di- I didn't, um, but I did have, um, I mean, I felt, sort of excited about it because way back last year when all this capital A capital T started uh and people started saying of course the only way out of this is uh, is a vaccine but that's that's like 5 years away you know minimum 3 so the fact that within a year you know the scientists had come up with it i thought was phenomenal but yeah, it's I amazing, isn't it, really? Really, it is. What I did feel blue about is that, you know, that John died last summer and we went into this together and I just thought, oh, he doesn't get to see how this ends. And I felt really sorry that he wasn't, you know, obviously in all the other ways I miss him. But I just thought, you know, that's that's such a big thing to leave, you know, at this point. I mean, we heaven knows, probably not even halfway through, but... You know, it, it because everybody talks about it all the time, and obviously we talked about it a lot. I thought, oh, now he doesn't get to know the end of this story, which is really frustrating. Really frustrating. I, I could imagine that's that's tricky. And of course, John, my gorgeous John, you know, I was one of his number one fans. I met the fella about twice, <laughs> but he stuck with me, you know. And I, you know, I adored him. And I've said it outside. And one thing I have to say about your your Instagram is. You, the way you write about things, and you particularly about grief and what it is that you're going through, is so poetic and beautiful. And I just, well, I don't know. I think it's like helping a lot of people. And I think, you know, it's something you need to think about. That not think about. You don't need to think about anything. But it is really gorgeous the way you're talking about things and sharing your experience. I was, I was really, I was really nervous about it because. because it's not like I'm a deeply, deeply private person. I mean, that ship has sailed. But I, I'm i aware of the fact that unless it's happened to you, it's impossible to describe. It is impossible to describe. And even if somebody had tried to explain it right at the end to me, you know, when John was here, it was impossible, impossible to imagine the world without him. And so a lot of what I write, I think, is just me... I feel like grief is a kind of terrible experiment on humans that from day to day, you know, something will happen and they go, I wonder how you'll cope with this. And some of it's really teeny. Some of it's really teeny. Some of it is just the the division of labour in our house, which you never talk about, you know, the fact that I, (laughs) I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know how to load the DVD. I did not know how to load the DVD. And, um, and in fact, I, I had to get, Jack, you know, my, my son, Sophie's brother, to um, film himself doing it. And one of the things that really struck me when I watched it back is, of course, I hadn't realised, but he's got his dad's hands. <laughs> oh, gosh. But that division of labour in the house, which is monstrously dull to describe, you know, the fact that I did this and he did that and now it's just me. Those kind of things, 
when you think when you try and describe it to someone, they're kind of going, "Yeah, but you've got you know you've got Richard. You know, Sophie, Sophie mm. lives really near. I am ten minutes away. Plus, my other kids, you know, are of course they've really stepped up here. They didn't have to, but they are lovely people, and I know perfectly well that." mostly whatever time of day it was you know if I rang somebody and said help they would but I there's lots of reasons that I don't want to do it unless it's an absolute catastrophe and one of them is that I don't want them thinking about me like that all the time because that's the other weird thing about grief is it also lets you live your life you know you can still Mm. find things funny disgusting I'm still greedy I'm still jealous as hell of other people's success all the things I was before but I can't reflect it back in any way because Mm. we had a really close relationship and therefore I knew he kind of saw that saw me yeah in a way that you don't ever have to explain at all no so I think what I write is just it's like jumping in a kind of emotional bucket of slops and then going oh okay let's make sense of this because if I don't if I don't make sense of it out loud then I'm just going to think the same exactly the same tomorrow and I'm going to get stuck and I don't want to be stuck I can't be stuck you know there is there's a lot of it without him which is a dreadful thought but there is a lot of it and I don't Mm. want to be abandoned to it I I still want to be and I probably said this there somewhere I still want to be the person he'd recognize which Mm. is you know Whatever that is, I, 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 that's what I'm working towards, I guess. But it is, it's like being experimented on. You know, you think you've got something down a bit and then they go, okay, so we're just going to make, because the whole house, which we'd lived in as far as I could tell, sort of okay, seemed to demonstrate built-in obsolescence within seconds. You know, things fell off or exploded or broke or dripped. <laughs> no, I just... <laughs> just wanted to get I just want to feel quite calm in this little space so I can get on with everything else I'm feeling but um and I guess it's their interactions with that world that you don't see as well isn't it so it's like even their absence is a reminder in absolutely. a sense you know absolutely. you're, sp- you're so right you- and actually that's exactly what it is is that it is a colossal absolutely non-negotiable absence and various people have said oh you know can you still feel John there and I go I wish I could say yes, but I don't. He is just gone. And I'm I'm sure, because, you know, there are other people who've been through this and they tell me, and I trust them, that you get to a point where the comfort of your life and the things that you shared and the way that you lived sustains you through that absence. But in, at this stage, I can tell you, it's just that. It's just he is flipping not here. And it's a constant insult to me. It's like an insult, you know, but I'll tell you something. He did not feel that he was unsentimental to a degree and he loved his life and he loved all of us and he never expressed a single regret about not having more of it, which is pretty phenomenal. His attitude towards living and I guess towards death as well, that must be helpful for you to know that. You know, yeah. like you say, that you, you wanting to be the person whilst he's gone that stays the same. That must be a, such yeah. a strength, you know, knowing that, I guess, it really you know, is. you won't change for it. Yeah, and that he, he was stoic till the end, like you say, and like to yeah. carry on living. And, the you know, the impact both of you had on the world. And like I said about John, I only met him a couple of times, but, you know, I was so genuinely sad to hear about <laughs> him passing. And, you know, but to have that impact as a human being is is something incredible isn't it and I know through he was he was a lovely he was really you know because obviously I never told him but he was a much better person than me (laughs) and I I do I do worry that obviously you know inevitably one of us would go first ideally we'd both go together but that's not gonna happen um and I thought oh no now people are gonna realize that it's just me and he really really was the nicer one really was plus I've got a really awful memory so <laughs> for me to be the repository of all the family stuff is just not the one you choose because I you know I, I do I find things at home that one of the kids have done and now of course one of the grandchildren I can't remember which one 
So I'm just hoping they claim it at some point. Go, oh, look, there's my lovely whatever. I guess as well, like Jack and Martha, obviously, will pick, will be picking up on. You know, I mean, he lives on through them as well, and there's a legacy there, which is just. Yeah, you know, it's reminding you all the time of those things and the gorgeous way that you lot live your lives. And like I said, that that Christmas day, that Christmas that you came and did that show, and I saw you lot go off together. <laughs> Never before in my life have I felt like Tiny Tim. I thought, oh look at them, like I was looking through <laughs> Hamley's window, going, look at them lot, Milton. Look at them all buggering off to have bleeding Christmas dinner together on a Friday night. Oh my God, I was inconsolable. I said, I've never had a moment like that in my whole life, Milky. Never. Look at me. I'm bereft of any decency. And it's gorgeous. You've got beautiful, beautiful big families. We are very lucky. We are really, really lucky. We are lucky. We yeah, we seem to genuinely like spending time together. Um, obviously. It's hard for anyone to be a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law to me, but you know, I, I am the matriarch. What can I tell them? I'm, you know. My, well, you always have been, and you always will be, Janet. To yes. be fair, the matriarchy. And the other thing that obviously you don't, most people don't talk about, is you're bleeding. You're a novelist as well. You've written two novels now. Have you? Or more yeah, than two novels, three. Two, isn't it? two so two. far. Yeah. Um, the butcher's hook. <laughs> <laughs> now that's quite an interesting one, yeah. isn't it? Because it tells the story of like um. A wench, essentially. <laughs> it's the story of a wench. <laughs> that is what it is, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's all done in the st- like this speaking of the time, which was Victorian, whatever. But, you know... It's Georgian fat fans. Georgian, sorry, yeah, fat fan. Um, that must have been... Well, that was quite a change in... Yeah. You know. It is honestly the thing I've been most, most nervous about my whole... Except my driving test, actually, I was really nervous about that. But writing something and then... Because it, it's so audacious, isn't it, to write something and then say to other people, could you could you read it? <laughs> I've written something down. Um, it's like a story. Um, could you actually have a look at it? Because because it's so naked. But it was it was like so you naked. um, it was there was a bad bidding war, wasn't it, for it? And you didn't even use your own name. You used no an alias. My so it, that, that yeah, does say a lot, though, doesn't it? About yeah, that says a lot about your writing skills. Well, that that's a little thing that I my it was my agent's idea actually. Nothing, I can't claim that. And he said, I th- I think we should submit this under a pseudonym. I went, but I've actually managed to write a whole book. Could it be me? <laughs> and he said, but people might have an idea of the sort of thing you might write. You know, as a Blue Peter presenter, I don't know what that would be. Well, anyway, get, yeah, it yeah, really isn't that. that. It's really, really not that. And I think he also thought rightly that some people would be shocked by by what it is because it's quite strange. Yeah, um, saucy. But there's a saucy but, bit or two. Yeah, there is a saucy. Bit. And actually, the weirdest thing of that is I I did the audio for it. You know, the the audio book, which I didn't really <laughs> want to do because I had like a little wish list of actresses that I thought would be great to read it, mainly because I thought if I've got them trapped in a voiceover booth, they could be my friend. <laughs> they don't know me yet, but they might know me, like Claire Foy. I wanted Claire Foy to read it because I thought I really like her and she could be my friend. <laughs> if she has to spend three days reading my book, we might go out for tea after. Anyway, for some reason they were all busy, like busy, who were. So I ended up reading it. But, of course, there is some, you know, well, there is some weirdly, you know, there's some sex in it and there's also some murdering in it. And it's quite, you know, it's quite colourful. And it's just me one side of the booth, you know, this, and there's the producer the other side. So I'm reading this and I blush really, really so I'm reading this stuff. And I just looked up at him. He was completely impassive, completely impassive. And I thought, oh, thank God, because if he was going... Oh, I don't think I'd have been able to read another word, but he was completely. So props, David Roper, for that. that, Go on, David, wherever um, you are. Probably mm. listening, no (laughs) doubt. Good old Davey. He is a big fan, honestly. I have to put all the letters in the bin these days. He's he's become obsessive. (laughs) So I'm writing a novel at the minute. Well, I'm not writing a novel. I'm going back over my old novel, The Golden Goujon, which it's not a bidding war, I would say, but... Um, let's put it this way. W.H. Smith has certainly been sending me in a couple of emails or two. I've unsubscribed. And is, there, is there much of... Is it semi-autobiographical? No, no, no. It's about a woman called Sue Bellamento what goes to prison. So there's an element in there. You know, there's a, there's there's a dash. Yeah. There's, a, there's a dash of Duchess in there, but I wouldn't say for long. I haven't glugged the whole bottle in there, just a dash. Imagine right. Right. Liam Perrin's in a spag bowl, that kind of volume. Right. Do you know what I mean? Nothing, right. 
Nothing too yeah. heavy. Nothing too heavy. Right. Are you bored? Have I bored you yet? I can't remember the last time I was bored. That's a good thing, well, isn't it? Well, not being bored. That's well, I imagine with thing. the amount of bleeding grandkids you've got. Yeah, and I take them out one by one because otherwise, frankly, they fight. I mean, that's their default setting. So to just save me and the other passengers on the bus, I take them out one at a time. And we have these lovely days where we, well, I just buy them stuff, basically. That's, I know that's how they see me. So we, we go to the cinema. I have seen every possible cartoon of every site, though, you know, animated snails and motor oh. And then they get to a certain age and I think, oh, we can go and see films together. And then they want to go and see horror films. So I have to just, well, it's a waste of my money, really, because I just sit there absolutely hiding. Anyway, then we have some nice food. Then I buy them some more stuff. Anyway, that happens so That far. sounds bloody heaven Four to me. Four times. Lucky bugger. Because Mickey isn't old enough. He will be. So that's that's like a, in the holidays, that's a whole week taken up with individual outings. Jack and Martha haven't even got kids yet. I'm not going to have any time over Easter and Christmas to myself at all. You'll have to pull a lottery, Janet. That's the only way they're going to get their, their nan yeah. time. Maybe I'll just bunch them all together and we'll go and see something I want to see. Why not? What would that be? What would be your preference? Um, oh, no, that, most of them, of course, are just those sort of films. We've got, oh, that's lovely. But, you know, there wasn't much plot. <laughs> you know, the sort of films which is sort of shot in Islington. Give me an example. I'm not sure. You mean like a rom-com? No, those Joanna Hogg films, which are really kind of delicate and lovely, uh, sometimes involve Tom Hiddleston, don't always. They're very sort of... Yeah, they're good, they're good stories, but they're, you know, they're the sort of thing that if I, even with you Sonny, ain't selling it, eldest, Janet, you ain't selling it, no, I'll be honest. You I'm not even selling it. it to me. I don't know why I watch them. I just quite like them. I haven't got a clue films. what this kind of film is. I'll tell you that for an update. Someone's walking around Islington. There's Tom Middleton. Someone's stabbed yeah. down someone's some crazy paving. I'll be an M&S. Kind of Do you need anything? I'll have a bag that of chocolate raisins. That's exactly is that what I... only filmed. Only filmed to look like it's Prosser Hodge, so it's really theatrical. Now, I don't know why. I'm not even well, selling it to me. I'll tell you something, Janet. If I ever open the flick again, which hopefully I will when this all finishes, I want you back down there, giving us another little spin on the dance floor like you did in the 80s. You went off so quick. Honestly, we thought you were going to go back in time back then. You span so fast. Electricity was coming off you. They were the days. Old John Noakes in the corner. You know, head in a barrel. Classic. It was, it was special, wasn't it? They were special days. And you they know were. what? When we open them again, I want you to be my guest of honour. In fact, Cheers. you and the Ellis Bexters, they can all come down. We'll get Martha Jack, all of them. Everyone down there will have a whale of a time down the flick. Wouldn't that be gorgeous? That'd be groovy. That'd be really groovy, yeah. It's a date. You don't seem that you don't seem that you don't seem that into it, Janet, but fine. I'm I'll wistful. be there. You're being wistful. No, okay. I'm wistful because I'm just thinking of uh, of us all dancing together. Well, my gorgeous Janet, I adore you. Look after yourself and keep making me smile on Instagram and being as gorgeous as you can. I'm just, you're Thank just you. wonderful. Oh, that's, that's really good to know. And, and thanks to Milky there for, uh, you know, putting up with this. <laughs> there he is. Floppy disc in hand. <laughs> um, I love you. I adore you. I'll see you soon. Thanks for having me. Okay, my gorgeous babes. Well, this is a little song that I've... Just going to make up on the spot. Me and Milky like to do a little song. And we just make it up straight off after speaking to the guest. So this one, this one goes out to Janet Ellis. This one, my gorgeous babe, it's for you. Yes, it is, my babe. This one's for you. We saw you a million times on the screen. From days gone by to the movie scenes and we love the way you've entertained us all but there's one thing I know I will forever cause all the days go by and we're still walking together all the days go by and we'll be walking together as the days go by we'll all be walking together just you and me Janet in Islington town do do and then you got a family as strong as an ox So people come and go as part of the scene Life comes around in many unknown ways But you're still here with me And all the days go by and we're still walking together 
together. All the days go by and we're still walking together. All the days go by and we're still walking together. Just you and me, Janet, walking together in Islington. Do 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 in Islington. Do 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 do. And you go into Emmerness and say I'll have a meal deal. Please, I'll stay. Make mine a sandwich that's no mayonnaise. Cause I hate the eggy vinegary taste of it. And I don't like it. But I'll tell you something, Janet. You'll probably go from something spicy. All the days when we'll be walking together. Yeah. All the days go by and we'll be walking together. All the days go by and we'll be walking together. Just you and I, Janet, walking together. Every day looking and loving together Oh yeah, we're going one, two, three Sing it, Milby Oh yeah, baby, going three and four Sing it, Milby And I say love to all you lot Who's listening out there Life is tricky And sometimes it leaves you thinking Why am I going more? What am I doing? But there's one thing for certain You gotta keep on living Cause all the days go by And we're just walking together All the days go by And we're just walking together All the days go by And we're just walking together You and I, Janet Just walking together, my loves I'd like to take this second to thank you, my gorgeous guest today, the beautiful Janet Ellis, for coming on the show. What a gorgeous chat we've had. Love to you, my beautiful babe. And of course, in case you didn't know, this is the Chatting with Chorley podcast with me, the Duchess of Canvey, Diane Chorley, the writer and creator of the podcast, or podcast, whatever you like to call it. That little crispy, crunchy, plickety, plunky, Quonky fingers on the little guitar strings over there. That's my musical man, my little individual, my little milky milky on the guitilky. Yeah, this is a hat trick podcast you've been listening to, and we hope you've enjoyed it because I tell you we have too. And this was produced by the gorgeous Chris Jones. Oh, yeah, we've hoped you enjoyed the show. We'll be walking today and we'll be walking together All the days go by and we'll be walking together All the days go by and we'll be walking together You lot have a gorgeous day Quack, 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 clock If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.